Maybe I'm crazy, but I was right all along about Michael Jordan. Not a bully. Not a bully. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm not. Welcome to the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you're doing well. Very excited to talk to Scott Burrell, head coach of University of Southern Connecticut, but also a former teammate of Michael Jordan and is featured very heavily in The Last Dance and a lot of conversations about him and his relationship with Michael Jordan. So we talked to him about that, about Rodman, about Krause, about the NCAA and the G League and lots of other good stuff surrounding the documentary. Uh, of course, we have a whole crazy gang here, Heller, Donnie, and T with Culture Report, but let's get started with Scott Burrell. I'm very excited to have Scott Burrell on the Maybe I'm Crazy podcast this week. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure you're you're in high demand right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thanks for having me, Joy. Um, I am in high demand, but it's, it's fun to have my name back out in, in the, on the circuit, so I enjoy it. Um, well, you're still very busy. Obviously, you're wearing the, the SC... Uh, you know, polo right now, you're a head coach. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what you, you've you been doing. Uh, just been recruiting, been recruiting and watching this documentary. Um, it's it's fun to watch, it's fun to hear. It's fun for everyone to get to hear how Michael Jordan Michael Jordan is and what drove him to be great. And when I do my recruiting calls now, it, it, the kids want to talk about it. So it makes it easy for me to recruit now because it's hard to get kids to talk. But now they're watching the Michael Jordan documentary and the Bulls documentary. It makes it a lot easier right now. Well, before we get into the documentary, um, mm-hmm. the NCAA has been in the conversation a little bit over the past couple of weeks because uh, a dramatic change has been made to the G League, which mm-hmm. I thought was a very long overdue. But mm-hmm. they've made an option, and a, a lot of the top players are, are taking the option to go into the G League, G League now as opposed to going straight into college for a year or going overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think this is going to be a, a lingering issue for the NCAA, or you think it's a good thing? Um, mixed feelings. I, I think, I think kids think the G League, G League is easy. And when you come out of high school, you know, these guys, some of these guys have been around for years and years trying to scratch and claw to get in the NBA. So these guys are hungry. They're dogs, um, uh, uh, trying to make it to the big, to the big dance. And some of these young kids out of high school, or maybe one year of college, don't understand how hard it is. So it's and, and they don't say college basketball, high school basketball is different than professional because now it's your livelihood. So are they mentally prepared? Are they physically prepared? Um, who knows? And I think it's just I think college is a great thing to 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 go through. I think at least two or three years you grow, you build, you make friendships, you 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 get go towards a degree. You might even change your mind and want to go four years. Um, but it, I think it's mixed feelings for for, for that question. Um, I also feel like I'm, I'm supportive of it because I like the kids have the option. I always felt mm-hmm. like they should at least have the option. But I'm yes. with you. It's uh, G League is it's no joke. Like it's yes. <laughs> these are grown men and they're yes. trying to get into the league and they're you know, this is their livelihood. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like there's kind of an underlying thing with injuries. So yes. obviously, you know, when you're getting evaluated in college, you are your amateur athlete, there's different rules and things like that for how, you know, if you have a lingering injury or something that can be, you know, exposed to professional teams. But if you're in the G League and you got something going on or you got, you know, a lingering hip issue or knee issue or something, the NBA teams are going to know about it. They are gonna know about it. Um, and I'm a guy, take it from a guy, I had 13 surgeries in my NBA career. So I'm a guy whose body was beat up. And uh, like you said, because, and I don't know if the bodies are ready for playing that many games, playing, uh, lifting weights every day. The body, and especially when kids are growing at that age. So it, it takes a toll on the body. If you play all those minutes that you're not used to, 
practicing like high school practice is not going to be like G League practices. And uh, and, and I, I hope the kids are mentally, like I said, mentally, physically ready for what they're about to enter. Now, so you said you had 13 surgeries. You're the, the head coach at Southern Connecticut State University. You played baseball at a very high yes. level. Now, I want to get this right, okay? Yeah. You are you're you remain the only athlete in professional sports history to be drafted in the first round in two different sports. Kyler Murray did it, so he's a, he okay. did it after me. He, so he's a second. Okay, but I'm okay, the first, so he's a I'm second. The first All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you always need the first. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, Trailblazer. so do you think that? Um, because I always feel like I played a bunch of sports in high school. I played basketball and track and volleyball and soccer, and then eventually ran track in college. But um, I was lucky to never have any major injuries until I was an adult and still thought I could play soccer and tore my ACL, which is another story. <laughs> We're done with that. But I did think that cross-training helped me to, to avoid injuries. So did you have any injuries before you got into the pros? No, I, I really didn't. I just, maybe one meniscus tear. Um, I think, like you said, playing other sports, it, it works your mind, your hand, hand, and, uh, uh, hand and eye coordination, your footwork. And plus, it makes you miss something. Like when you're running track, I'm sure you miss playing another sport. Um, and you exci got excited to play. Nowadays, kids play one sport and it's all year round. I think they get burnt out. I think they get more injuries. They get tendonitis. Like when I played baseball and it was basketball season was coming up, I was itching to play basketball as I love playing baseball at the same time. But when you miss something, you, you yearn for it, you itch, for, itch to play a little bit more, and you're more hungry to get back to it and, and give it your all. So since you were such a great baseball player and you spent a lot of time around Michael Jordan, can ask you objectively, do you think that Michael could have made it to the big leagues? I think he had a good chance. I mean, I didn't watch the documentary. I didn't know he had a 13-game hitting streak, um, batted 202. I didn't know all these stats. I mean, that's pretty good for someone who hasn't played baseball in, in 12 years. I mean, some of these guys are, are, are lifetime baseball players, um, learn the ins and outs of baseball. He was just learning it over again after taking a long hiatus. But um, think about it. MJ so determined and so fixated on making and being great. I think he would have found a way to make it to the big leagues. He might have been 50, but he would have found a way to make it to the big leagues. <laughs> well, also, I feel like, you know, if it comes down to another prospect that's right on the cusp there and you're about to bring him up and it's like between him and Michael, like, yeah, I can't decide. I think Michael's probably going to get the nod. I think the tickets will be sold out. The uh, stadiums will be sold out if Michael Jordan was in the big league. So yeah. he would have had a chance, definitely. So um, I talked a lot about you on, on my podcast last week because mm -hmm. a big conversation about uh, episodes seven and eight concerning Michael was that he was very hard on his teammates. Mm -hmm. And particularly, he was very hard on you. Um, which is at least how it was portrayed in yeah, yeah. the documentary. So uh, I defended Michael that I said he wasn't, um, you know, people were calling him a bully. And I think that the, yeah. the word bully should not be thrown around flippantly because I don't think that it applies. I think the environment that you're in <clears throat> makes it makes that word valid or not. So do you feel like Michael Jordan was a bully? No, not at all. I think Michael Jordan knew I needed more structure. Well, first of all, he saw me at of me as a player that I could be better than I was, which I take that as an honor and and I respect. So when someone, the best player in the world, the best player I ever play is pushing you, and he never, number one, he never pushes you physically. He talks to you, he 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 talks junk to you, but that's part of everyday basketball. When he's pushing you and, and making you feel uncomfortable, that's what I needed and that's what I liked. I needed to be better. I needed to be challenged. And that man brought it to MJ, brought it to me every day, and and I love. Like, there's not a day I went to practice like, damn, here we go. I got to face Michael J Jordan again. He's going to talk to him. I loved it. And, and everyone on the team loved it. And they thrived off it. And we all needed that. And that's, we all got better off it. And 
the word bully, like you said, it's thrown around way too easily. But you know what? People love controversy, and people want, some people want to take that angle uh, of he was a bully towards us. I don't think he was a bully. I think he was a, 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 a tough love player that knew how to get people better. And if you didn't get better or didn't want to be there, go, go ahead. Ask to be traded. You can leave. I mean, that, that wasn't for you then, but I loved it. Do you think there was anything that was misrepresented in the documentary? Uh, no, I, I, not that I can remember, but because he explained everything, um, why he's the way he is, um, how, how, uh, what, what his passion for winning. I, I think people don't understand. One thing they don't understand is people weren't playing the Bulls to beat the Bulls. They were coming to beat Michael Jordan, the best player to ever play basketball. So that's why he came at us so hard. Because he knew he needed us to be ready for any for our opportunity when it was called upon us, and he pushed us to be prepared, whatever opponent, whatever thrown at us, to step up and do our jobs. And now I think if he wasn't as hard as he was and let us be lax like so many other players and so many other teams, we wouldn't have been prepared for, for the situation we were going to put ourselves we were going to be in uh, as that season went on. So, uh, kind of the emerged villain of the documentary is Jerry Krause which I have lots of opinions on. I, I, yeah. I think that if uh, my opinion on GMs and any front office person is that, that you weren't famous before you were a GM. I really don't care to be to know who you are now. Like you're just yeah. kind of one of those figures that should make a lot of really important decisions, but mostly like not be heard from. And I don't yes. need to know you. Um, yeah. And it seems like Krauss really wanted a lot of the credit for what you guys were doing. So is, yeah. ha, ha, was it fair to him or was it? I, I I think it goes both ways. I think Krauss did an unbelievable job assembling a team of great camaraderie, high IQ, competitive guys that knew their roles. Because you could have a lot of team that a lot of players brought that you could have brought them into that team that could have messed the chemistry of that team up. But I think he did a great job assembling of it. But I also think he he's working for somebody else. So you got everybody puts it on Jerry, but Jerry's getting orders from another Jerry, and it gets passed down. So I mean, uh, it's it's. It got put on him a lot. A lot of the negative things got put on him, but I'm sure he was just doing what his boss was telling him to do. And I feel bad for Scotty. I mean, he played underpaid. Well, MJ, too, before he got two last contracts. Those guys got paid. They were underpaid for so long. And your body takes a pounding. And you want to get paid for what what you're worth. And I feel bad that he never did. And the comment that MJ made about guys coming back for one year, I don't think Scotty would have came back for one year. Uh, um, If you paid him $100 million, he might have came back. But you know the Bulls weren't going to pay him. They didn't pay more than $20 million. They weren't going to pay him $100 million for one year. So I think it would have been tough for that team to come back another year. But I think I see Jerry's side, but I also see – obviously I see the player side more than the management side because we're the ones out there doing the work. But um, he did a great job putting the team together, but that team was an awesome team to play with, and, and they played no matter what the problems were. Their one goal was to win a championship. Every time they stepped on the court, they didn't let any distractions – you know, um, uh, uh, get, get in the back of their minds to, to, to deter them from winning the championship. I think that's one of the most remarkable parts of all of it is, uh, and not no disrespect to players today, um, mm-hmm. but I do think it's a different culture and everywhere, oh, yeah. everywhere is a different culture, but in, in the NBA, it's much more uh, star centric. And yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine a GM coming out and saying that you could win 82 games and you're still getting fired. It would be mayhem in the streets. Like, it people is, would be losing crazy. their collective minds. So the I fact know. that you guys played through all of that with the pressure of another 3 P, knowing that this might be Michael Jordan's last uh, year in the league, like, how did you guys keep it all together? Camaraderie um, and focus on one thing. I think Phil was a great, did a great job of coaching personalities 
letting guys understand what their roles were. Um, well, knowing your roles pretty easy on that team because you had three stars, so everybody else had, had to fill in around them. Um, but the guys just liked playing with each other. I mean, Dennis, people like see Dennis as a guy who liked to party. But when Dennis was on that court, Dennis was all business. And obviously, you know, Michael and Scotty were all business. But we had one goal and to play for each other and win every night and do your job the best your ability whenever your name was called or your job was called upon to be uh, to be the best. Um, so it's interesting you say role because uh, mm-hmm. one of one of the things that I think is super important to a successful or championship team is that very concept that I when I see teams struggle today that like they have all this talent like why can't they figure it out I feel like it has a lot to do with players don't want to buy into the role because it sounds like a bad thing like oh I'm a role player but like in fact if you don't have strong role players you won't win a championship 100% true and I like I think it's a different way I think people's brands get in the way of and egos get in the way of just winning games but um it's a different era like you said people want to get their name out there more how important is it to win a championship or is it more important to get your name out there and your brand out there? And if you're not scoring points in this day and age, people think you're bad. And then people think, like, we're bad because we didn't score 20 points a game when we played. But that wasn't our job. We've done it on, on occasions when we called upon it. But that wasn't our job. We just did our roles. But it's totally different. Guys will not play the same way that we did back in the day for uh, the betterment of the team, I think. So, I mean, everyone always asks, obviously, could Jordan play today? And I, I don't really know what that conversation is, but... Oh, you know that conversation. I mean, yeah, look, You're I'm a Michael Jordan more. zealot. I have a giant, I, like, I'm, I, I am a Michael, I was raised on Michael Jordan. I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. I, I worship Michael Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think he could play today, but I don't, I don't think that it's, it's hard to, to move the needle like that. Like, could Kevin Durant play in your era? Not personality wise, but like yeah. he's seven foot and he can rise up and shoot, you know, but like, mm-hmm. could he handle the physicality? Like there's, there's so many differences in the, in the culture, in the uh, personality of the league, in the rules yes. of the league. So um, do you think that conversation is even fair to have? I think it's fair to have it. Michael Jordan playing this era, because if you could play with getting beat up every every year, every game, and there's no physicality anymore, that means he's going to have free reign to score. He scored 30 back then getting beat up. That means free reign he's going to score 45. It's hard to say how like Kevin Durant would play getting beat up back in that day, and LeBron getting beat up, beat up in that day. But to say if guys could play in that era back in the, back then and play now, yeah, because the game is the game is wide open now. I mean, a lot of people. That's why so many people who who you don't think can make it in the NBA make it now because this era is so different, so wide open. If you make shots, you can play somewhere in the NBA today. So obviously we always learn the media. So we have this GOAT conversation at nauseum every single day. Um, I am firmly in the camp that Michael Jordan is the greatest to ever play. But do you think that there's anything LeBron could ever do to surpass him? Or do you think that LeBron is, is, has surpassed him? I'm guessing no. <laughs> I, I think MJ is the best player to ever play. And I, to be honest, I think LeBron's up against a – a, a, a wall that keeps moving on him. He can do every, everything possible, and he still won't be known as the best player. Because number one, I just think MJ changed the game. Bird and Magic changed it, but I think MJ brought it to the next level. And and just play, playing with the physicality that he had to play through to win, to break through, to win championships, it's totally different than it is now. Um, and I think LeBron's legacy was helped by Ray Allen hitting that three pointer in, in Miami too. So, I mean, I, I like trust me, I love watching LeBron play. I think he's a great player, but. He was, he was helped a lot. I mean, people say, Scotty helped Michael. Yeah, but there wasn't assembled by friendships and stuff like that and, and, and whatever you want to call collusion on players. It was because management made the right deals, and it just worked out that guys bought into the system. So I, I think 
LeBron's wall will always keep moving on him. But I think he's an awesome player. But I still love Kobe, even, maybe ahead of him too. So I mean, but I mean, if you, I always ask people, if you want someone to make the last bucket, are you having LeBron, Kobe, or MJ? And everybody will say, I'll have MJ first, Kobe second, then LeBron. So how do you put those guys? How do you put LeBron ahead of them if you? Um, that's why that's the argument I have with my players all the time. So well, I think the Kobe uh, argument is. I think the reason why people don't think of Kobe in that space a lot of times is because he was so similar to Michael, but mm -hmm. we all consider Michael to be better. Whereas yeah. LeBron is such a different player than Michael all, entirely. So it's like easier yeah. to contrast, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good point, good point. He did patterns game after MJ, but I still want the ball in his hands when I need a bucket if I didn't have MJ. Absolutely, so, the mama. Yeah. Uh, do you think, it's, so it's funny that you mentioned that it's, it's he's up against the wall because Michael does have this mythology and um, you know, we're talking about like how how you know busy you are and like people loving this and everything. And it, we do like it's it's been an incredible experience to this in this time, go through all this together. Um, and so the you know the finish line kind of keeps moving for LeBron. But is is the mythology of Michael because you spent time with him and you won that championship with him and you're a part of this incredible history, like not just sports history, like culture, the world, like you guys affected, that team affected the entire world. Mm -hmm. um, is it fair, like the mythology that we put on Michael? Well, it's not really fair, but at the same time, we watched him in that documentary and like as great as we thought he was, we all put him on another pedestal because he was just so honest and, and like to hear him say what motivated him, Every, I mean, little things motivate him. Someone didn't say hi to him in a restaurant. I mean, that's 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 crazy thinking. That's crazy thinking right there. But it's like, God, this man's a beast for the, like the littlest things. Like he made a LeBron, LeBron for Smith story. Who does that? But he was so great. He he needed something to be greater. And you're like, wow, this man. It's like if you can't see this man being the best player or the best guy that that to, that, to play the game for for the reason of his ability, the ability, just his mi mindset and the thought, the reason why. He had to make himself even better. You're like, wow, I, this guy's amazing. So I, I think we put him on another pedestal even bigger after watching the documentary. So before I let you go, I got to ask you about Rodman because um, I, I don't, I, I can't even comprehend what the media would do if a player left in the middle of the yeah. finals and mispractice to go wrestle with NWO. I mean, it just, but. Did the did it bother the team? Like, did it? Because in the documentary, it generally seems like everyone was like, "Yeah, it's Robin. Like, he's going to show yeah. up and play, so he just does whatever he wants." But did it bother the team at all? Were there like private conversations that were real, like come to Jesus moments with him, or it just was an understood thing? It, uh, the only time that like he did it throughout the season, he'd miss practice every now and then, and no one cared. The only time it was a problem, but it never went throughout the team. It was, it was between Coach uh, Phil and, and and Dennis. Obviously, he was mad about him not being a practice during the finals. But and they settled it and they whatever they did, find them, whatever they did. After that, it was no one even thought about it because that team was focused on just winning games. And Dennis missed every now and then during the season. And when he came back, he did extra cardio. He lifted weights and he was right on top of his game again. And Dennis was a freak athlete and uh, he did his job and prepared himself like a professional. Um, he just had some days he just needed to take off and everybody accepted it. And I promise you, no one even like I didn't even know he went to Vegas until I watched the documentary. So no one knew what, like, I just did my job and, and, and focused on what I had to do. Um, I'm sure some guys on the team didn't know either. And uh, he had a fun bus. He would go out on the fun bus every now and then. And uh, he missed practice. But guys just worried about doing their job to be great.
to make that team better. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. But you know, also, social media wasn't around then too, right. to blow things out of out of you know, out of proportion and and make it bigger than it was. So we were lucky to play when no, there was no social media. Man, I can't even yeah. imagine. I know, I know <laughs> that I know. today. But think about it. if Dennis is in Vegas during that during uh, back then and social media was around, there would be every pitcher, and it would be like such so much of distraction. Like guys have it tough with social media nowadays. Much much tougher. Definitely. Well, thank yes. you so much for, for your time. It was awesome to hear your stories. Uh, congratulations on the coaching. It's amazing. Um, best thank of luck you. recruiting. Hope this uh, hope the documentary you. Hope, you know, lands you a couple I extra players. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. We'll see. I mean, it's good to be in the limelight again. It's fun. So thank um, you very much. No, sure. I mean, you guys deserve it. It's, it was, uh, it's, it's the greatest dynasty in sports, and uh, it must have been an amazing experience to be a part of it. So It was. It was sad. It was broken up. It would have been great to see if they could win. We could win again, but that's the way it is. I mean, everything's got to, you know, everything's got to come to an end. It's better to leave a party 15 minutes early than 15 minutes late, right? Especially nowadays, you're right about that. No, you party. don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Scott. With it. Come on. With it. Quit. What? With it. We about to turn up in this bitch. All right, Heller, what's going on? With it, quit it this week. Uh, go talk, go talk. With LeBron's Western Conference leading Lakers on the shelf due to the COVID-19 pandemic, your man's MJ got all his lackeys together and put together a puff piece about his greatness. We'll discuss the whens and the whys of how this so-called, quote, documentary, end quote, came together. But the fact that we're all talking Braun after this means the GOAT combo is alive and well. Joy, MJ is the GOAT of retired players. Would it or quit it? <laughs> Uh, quit it. MJ is the GOAT, period. Mm. But I do think that this documentary kind of, it, it moved the finish line for LeBron, right? So LeBron was already up against it, trying to win over the hearts and minds of anybody like myself who believes that Michael Jordan is the GOAT because it's more emotional for me um, than it is necessarily a basketball conversation. And I, I can admit that. But I also think that it's based in basketball conversation, of course. Michael won six finals, two three-peats. I mean, that's that's very difficult to argue with. Now, LeBron is still playing, so who knows what happens? I mean, he could win three straight championships with the Lakers. We don't know that. that. I mean, if, if he did that, that'd be remarkable. Yep. I think we'd have to start having a different conversation. Not that he needs to do that to you know, make people think he's the GOAT. Some people already think he's the GOAT. And whether people think he's the GOAT or not really doesn't matter. What I do know is this. Michael Jordan, through this documentary, definitely reached a whole new generation of sports fans, NBA fans, non-sports fans. Humans, any human with a TV. The whole earth who wanted to be a part of anything that everybody else was doing was watching this documentary, whether you were an avid sports fan or not, or yep. even just an avid basketball fan or not. And the fact that it happened when it did, that it aired when it did, that it was done as well as it was with the emotion and the backstories and the stories of the role players, Steve Kerr's story, um, the story about MJ's dad and about the, the uh, security guy. Like there's just, there's so many yep. elements to this that not only humanized Michael, but really I think did him a lot of service in telling the story of like him struggling against the Pistons and, you know, dealing with oh, the yeah. media and the controversy around the gambling and, of yeah. course, his father yeah. passing and 
Yeah. You know, everything wasn't just a cakewalk for for Michael, yep. which I think is part of sort of the lore that we context have created. Yeah, that like Michael just breezed his way to all of this and he never had any issues. He never overcame anything and he did. And not that LeBron hasn't had to overcome things. Of course he has as well, but it's just it's the finish line just keeps moving for yep. LeBron to pass Michael and, and, and the bubble and the aura and, you know, the smoke surrounding yeah. Michael is going to be tough to surpass, especially after this, because this is going to sit with us, right? Because we are all at home and there is no sports on. And this nope. is something we're all having conversations about and we all experience together. Whereas if, ha if it had aired during the finals, we might have had a little more separation. Everyone wouldn't have been locked in. Right. Certainly non-sports fans wouldn't have been flocking to watch it. Yeah. So it's going to have an emotional impact on a lot of people when it comes to the conversation of the greatest of all time. Now, look, as soon as LeBron gets back out there, we are going to mm. fall in love with whatever happens because we are really craving sports. <laughs> Craving them. And I can taste them. So, so right there. <laughs> and we need them back. And we're just going to be so happy to see them out there. And LeBron's kind of weighed in, like, you know, he refuted some Windhorse tweet about, you know, wanting to play with Michael and, you know. What a, what a, what a torrid romance Windhorse and LeBron is, huh? So strange. But. <laughs> The, the overall point is for me is like Michael is the goat right now, and he, he and he and he had he added separation with this this documentary. The documentary is so much more than just us learning or or revisiting the experience of the Chicago Bulls dynasty. It was yep. our sports during a time when right. we did not have sports, and that's going to sit with people for a very long time. And whether that's fair or not fair, fairs you know for fried Oreos and carousels. Like it's, it's not real life. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, not that I'm supposed to feel bad for LeBron, but I, I could understand if LeBron felt some type of way about it because he's not able to be out there playing. Right. And this kind of added another layer of the aura of Michael Jordan. But I don't think that it's unfair to admit that Michael Jordan just has a star factor and a energy about him that permeates yeah. through everything that he does that crosses over generations the impact of whatever it is that god sprinkled extra on michael jordan right it doesn't go away and and this the scene at the end of the documentary with the pearl jam and looking out across the ocean with the cigar i mean like it, the ending story of phil jackson and he writes a poem and it's burning it's like I mean, you can't beat that. Come on. I mean, what are you going to uh, do? Give LeBron and uh, what's the name of his production company? Something Hill. Hill. Give give Bron and those dudes in Mav 10 years of documentary practice plus a bunch more Laker footage, and they're going to make one hell of a documentary. Here's your 10 parts. I got 23 for you. I don't want to watch a 23-part documentary, but... I will say okay. my only my only pushback on that is that what people are ignoring about this documentary is the fact that they had the footage to begin with. Like you don't people are not really paying attention to that. The access, like the footage is what made it. You can't go back and get footage like that. Right. Like the fact that we have footage of these practices, that we have footage of yeah. the inside of the Bulls locker room, that we have footage of Michael with these security guards playing quarters like it's impossible it's it's a documentary makers dream to be able to even have this, this footage exists 
is crazy. So yep. all of, you know, everyone's talking about like, oh, would you like to see a last dance about this team or that team? Like, sure, great. Is there footage of that? Because if there's no footage, it's not even worth having a conversation about. It. It's not going to be the same. Dude, dudes are going to know now, though, in that last year or when they think it, the time is right to bring that camera crew in and fight through it. I'm super glad the Warriors didn't. Apparently, they had an opportunity the last year with KD, and they said no. And I'm super thankful that happened because that would have been an S show. Squares. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, the LA Chargers have somewhat emerged as the latest likely landing spot for one Cameron Newton. The thing is, Anthony Lynn gave some wishy-washy quotes on Cam's future in the league, so it doesn't seem Superman is going to get his Hollywood ending. There's another city, though, Joy, that you know pretty well, with an older QB returning from an injury and a bout of O'Beard City. That would be the perfect landing spot for the man of steel. Joy, the Steelers should sign Cam Newton. Win it or quit it? <laughs> um, win it. And I like that man of steel line. Very clever. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so it's looking like he's not going to come to the Chargers after all. Anthony Lynn's saying he, he really likes his room of Justin Herbert, Tyrod Taylor, and I believe his name he's is Easton Smith. Uh, no, it's, uh, oh man, it's Easton something. Is it Easton Smith? Stick. Easton Stick. Easton Stick. Easton Stick. All right. And, uh, Anthony Lynn said that about his quarterback room before he, they got Herbert too. So I think he just says that maybe when he has quarterbacks. Well, here's the thing. Um, I don't know much about Easton, but... I think the deal is they didn't want to bring in Cam Newton because if you bring in Cam Newton, what's what's the point of Tyrod Taylor? Like, right. Cameron, Cam is better than Tyrod, and Tyrod deserves that spot. You feel comfortable with Tyrod. He knows your system. He's been with you. He's in the building. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But I never thought this really did make sense unless you weren't going to take Justin Herbert. But you took Justin Herbert, who will be the right. future of your franchise. You have Tyrod Taylor, and you've got a Easton. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's right. He does have a full quarterback room. Makes yeah. sense. Where I don't understand, and I continue to say this, and I will continue to say this until I understand what's going on in Pittsburgh, is why they don't have a veteran backup quarterback. Now, we had big news this week, a revelation. Okay, Ben Roethlisberger shades his beard, so he's back to looking normal again, and he's apparently throwing you know, some passes to some guys, including Juju Smith-Schuster who declared that Ben is back. And yep. apparently the whole reason for the monstrous beard was he wasn't going to shave his beard until he was able to throw to his teammates again. So, okay. Oh, I can't, the listeners can't hear me rolling my eyes, but I'm rolling my eyes. Oh. Uh, whatever. But <laughs> it, they're, it's, it's shaved, thank God. And he... It looks like Ben. I, I don't care. Like, I, I, it doesn't make me feel better that he shaved his beard. Yes, I'll be honest with you. As ridiculous as that sounds, I, I was uneasy yeah. about the look, okay? And especially Not when we've look. got 10,000 things to say about everybody else's looks, but Ben Roethlisberger can walk around looking like he hasn't seen the sunlight in 45 days. Uh, it's it's time to have that you conversation. Bomber. He looks crazy. Um, so... Here we are, but we still got Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, and that doesn't do it for me. And again, I do not understand what, for real, it's not going to be in the basket, so it's coming somewhere. <laughs> I don't understand what their what their goal is. I don't understand what the purpose is. We've seen Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. They are not good. If nope. something happens with Ben this year, which is entirely possible, 
Why would you not want a reliable backup quarterback like Cam Newton? And I don't want to hear about his injuries. He's going to be healthy by the time the season starts. No one in Pittsburgh is going to want to turn the team over to Cam Newton just because he's there, even if Ben plays bad. There's literally zero loss in this situation. You can get him for a reasonable amount, have a solid, reliable backup quarterback if Ben isn't back to what he needs to be. And it's, you don't have to turn the team over to him. He can be gone next year to wherever needs a starting quarterback. Yeah. And he, he's going to be in a solid franchise, a good situation. I don't get it. I don't get what the Steelers are doing. Forget what happened with the Chargers. That's nonsense. That's not the right place for him. They need to sign Cam Newton. It's no longer like I think they should. They need mm. to. Listen to me. Listen to Joy, guys. Listen to her. She's got good stuff to say. Listen right now. Listen. All right? Listen, Okay. I'm sprinkling the Turtle Creek water on you. You don't know what that means. But you don't, Turtle go, Creek? You don't want to go swimming in Turtle Creek. You don't really want to go in any of the river. Just stay on the boat. But I the point is... another stadium. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, people go out on boats, but, like, it's not really... It's not really not for swimming. Not swimming water? Not swimming. <laughs> it's not for swimming. <laughs> anyway. And they're not at Three Rivers anymore. They're at uh, Heinz Field. But there are still three rivers flowing right. through the city. The point is... Sign Cam Newton, stop playing around. Mason Rudolph and Doug Hodges are not it, and you need a backup quarterback. I don't care how great Ben looks. It's not about what Ben looks like now. It's about if something goes wrong. Right. And it's it's clear that this situation with COVID and Cam coming back from the injury has limited teams' interest in him just because they can't get him in the building. But you can't – if you still uh, have an ailing Liz Frank injury, you can't play beach volleyball with Josh Norman's whole family. So that, that made me feel pretty good about that. You also can't do all the workouts he's doing if you have a bad shoulder. As a matter of fact, I've been doing uh, shoulder stabilization uh exercises i learned from cam newton on ig so i think he's healthy i think he's ready to go i think once they know if the season's gonna happen he'll they'll get him in there they'll get him in somewhere hopefully it's with pittsburgh i think you're making a great point i just want to see cam play joy i just want to see him play he's amazing he's awesome mike tomlin is the perfect coach for him i think in this instance Let's see it. He plays a similar game to Ben. I know Ben doesn't run, but they're both big guys who move well enough in the pocket and can shed a hit. Like, you don't have to revolutionize the offense. Just bring him in. He's better than half of the quarterbacks in the league right now. Like, don't tell Jimmy G, but I think Cam Newton's better, and Jimmy G's the quarterback of the team I like. So I just want to see dude on the field. And in the locker room, walking in with the suits and the hats and the – he Swag, might cut back baby. on that this year. Who knows? I mean, I hope he doesn't because don't change. But he yeah. might cut back on it this year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought they should have shined, signed Jameis Winston. And you, you see what the Saints are doing. You see what the Saints are doing. So, yeah, it, it's the right place for him. And we're going to have a season. And I don't, I don't think that we're going to see Cam on the field this year, at least as a starter, unless there's a major injury and he happens to be in the right place. But we will see him again the year afterwards. He is going to be a starting quarterback. And I I can't wait to rub it in everyone's face when I'm right about it. I just can't wait. Yeah, it's crazy that he needs to take the Teddy Bridgewater route to get back because Teddy Bridgewater never reached the heights he reached. But that's where we're at, and that's what he's going to have to do. That's what the market is. All right, what up, Donnie? What's going on? Hi, Loki. What's up? What's up? All right. High key, a recent poll found NBA fans overwhelmingly favoring Michael Jordan over LeBron James in every proposed category, including who'd be a better drinking partner. Low key, I feel like this is a case of recency bias, which Google defines as the tendency to remember the most recently presented information best. What do you think about that? 
Uh, Loki, I think you're right on the recency bias thing. And okay. uh, definitions are always super fun to emphasize <laughs> how right we are about something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Just given the facts, this is what that word means. Yeah, I mean, factually, not everybody knows. Factually correct. I do think that the poll got a little crazy. Like people said that Michael was a better passer than LeBron. Yes. I was going to point that out. That was where I thought, wait a minute, this poll loses legitimacy points because we don't really believe that, do we? Do we, we really? We don't. That's too much. <laughs> that and then the, like, you know, he was a better teammate. Like, I don't know. I mean, I personally would rather play with Michael Jordan, but I think most people who play with LeBron, like, really love playing with LeBron. Yeah. Um, uh, I, th I think the other one was uh, like who's had more impact off the court. I guess if you're saying in a wider like cultural perspective, then right. yes, Michael, because he's a bigger star, but globally, Global celebrity. yeah, but like LeBron has clearly been very socially active. So the, the poll was a little all over the place, but the drinking thing is an interesting conversation. So yeah, I thought about it a lot and so we've seen LeBron drink, right? Like he has a whole show where he drinks wine. You know, he's a big wine drinker, Mateo, yes. <laughs> and he like sits around and drinks and and talks. And now we know Michael's obviously a big drinker too. He has his uh, tequila Sincoro, which I've had and it's delicious. I am also a tequila drinker, so I'm right down the middle. I love right. some tequila. I love wine. So it's really a matter of like, and I think Michael probably drinks wine too, but like. Who would I rather have a drink with? The reality is, of course, Michael. I was robbed of the opportunity to have a drink with Michael because of my brother. So close. Coincidentally, That's... was going to be tequila. <laughs> so, but like, when I think of who I'd want to have a drink with, I kind of feel like LeBron, just from watching the show, like, you get a couple in him and he, 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 he seems like a rambler, mm -hmm. you know? Which yeah. I can be sometimes, too. I catch myself when I'm drunk. You ever catch yourself when you're drunk? Like, you're, you're telling a story for so long, and you kind of catch everyone's eyes, and you're like, oh, you're shit, oh, I've no. been talking for so long. I got to wrap this up. I got to find the point of this story real fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel him on that. But I think I got to go with Michael. Michael probably has an amazing story. So my list of, of sports figures that I would want to have a drink with. Michael okay. Jordan. Pat Riley. Pat's okay. the godfather and definitely has amazing stories and definitely is a good hang. Uh, Barry Bonds mm. definitely okay. has some good stories. Yes, same. And uh, Bill Belichick. Okay, a bunch of legends. Right? You got, yes. So Michael, Barry Bonds, Pat Riley. Bill Belichick is a sleeper because we know he's a big grump. Yeah. But you think uh, he might loosen up after a few? Yeah. Yeah. If you could get him a little loose, get a couple in him, and he starts spilling the secrets of the dynasty, I feel like he would be great. Loki, another sleeper on that would be Popovich. Oh, that's very true too. Same kind of boat. Yep. I uh, my I have, a, I have a list as well. Mine is different. It has some crossover. Mine I include Charles Barkley. I feel like uh, Charles would be super entertaining, as we all know. Same with Michael Jordan. I would love to hear his legendary stories. I'm gonna have John Sally on my list. He is a legendary Piston and also a good storyteller. Uh, Mike Tyson. I feel like I have got a taste of it from. He's got this podcast where he he talks about ayahuasca and licking frogs and he like will go all over the place so mike tyson is the ultimate wild card and then i'm gonna have on my list uh barry sanders 
I am imagining this group, if we are all drinking together as a group, Barry Sanders, he will ha- have it so that I'm not completely outnumbered by these extroverts. I feel like me and ba- Barry Sanders are on a similar wavelength. I would love to have Mike on there, but I, f- I, I don't know how Mike gets if he's got a couple couple in him. I don't even know if Mike drinks. Does Mike drink? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't drink anymore. A lot that of might be the old drink. Mike Tyson. Yeah, I feel like he is mainly a weed man now and and like i said frogs licking the backs of frogs (laughs) all right uh high key channing fry is admittedly not a jordan guy low key the actual jordan guys seem to be triggered by that and channing put on his trolling cap and he really went to work on twitter this week yeah um i mean look like everyone's gonna pick pick a side on the Jordan LeBron situation. And basically Channing was like, you know, players today would not want to play with Michael Jordan. I do think that it's a fair conversation to have at this point about the cultures of that NBA and this NBA, as far as like who could play in what era. It's so hard to say, like the, the, the league is obviously more finesse. Now it's more shooters league. But like yeah. if you just take those guys that are super physical and like played in a super physical way and put them in a finesse league, are they still going to thrive? Because they'd have to change their game. You know what I mean? Not that they're not good, but they like were meant for a different time and thrived exactly. in that time. So I don't know about the actual like physical play of how that would transpire. Obviously, I think there's some players who would not do well back in that time. But he's talking more about like how Jordan's attitude was. And I think that just depends on the construction of your team, like how your team is constructed about whether you would be able to deal with that or not. Do I think that all players today could tolerate Michael talking crazy to them? No, but I also don't think that we have a player that's that good of an example of that because LeBron is a player-friendly guy. We know that he left Cleveland to go to Miami and play with his friends, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, which listen, it was a wonderful time. I loved it, loved every second, rode in a parade too, actually, fabulous, <laughs> great time. But that was a different time, you know what I mean? Like he, he like he did that and it's, it, it's that's who he is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like yeah. if, if LeBron had won, had stayed with one team and won five championships and was working on his sixth, I don't think players would have a problem jumping in on that in today's era. It's not really a comparable situation. Like everyone's talking about, you know, LeBron. It's like, if you feel like LeBron is better than Michael, like, okay, cool. But there's been great players who've had an opportunity to play with LeBron who have passed up Kawhi, Paul George, like there's other examples. So I, I don't necessarily know that it's that cut and dry that just because Michael had a very high competitive drive and would sometimes you know call you a name that players today wouldn't be able to handle i think certain players actually would be interested in that i think russell westbrook would love that i think that you know draymond green might be able to deal with that i think there's definitely some players in this league today that could play alongside michael and would love it and it, I, I it's not that i think that so this it, it kind of implies like the league is just like a little more soft and sensitive today yeah. And I, just, I don't think that's true. I don't think that there's just a, there's just an overwhelming amount of personalities that just want to hug each other and and love each other. Like we still have examples of guys in the league today who I think would thrive with Michael. I think part of it too is uh, Channing was doing this contrarian thing that people do when something is dominating everyone's attention, and you 
there might be a kernel of real feeling in there too, but he, he put something out there to go against the grain and then everyone's reaction was super heightened. So he hit back with a bunch of heightened like reactions. So it just like kind of mounds on it. These are like some cra- classic internet uh, trolling moves that go back and <laughs> forth like that. And we're just watching it in real time. Yeah. All right. High key, when describing the feelings after winning the 2018 NBA championship with Kevin Durant, Warriors GM Bob Myers says it wasn't joy. It wasn't you, Joy. It wasn't Low key, it wasn't you. Low key, recency bias rears his ugly head again. And KD was here to call out Bob Myers for it. Yeah. So Kevin Durant reposted the quote basically and was with a picture of Bob Myers smiling at the parade and was like, they sure look happy here. Right. (laughs) And I feel KD on that. And basically Bob Myers was saying like, because the expectation was that they were going to win, they weren't playing with a lot of joy. Well, yeah, pressure and expectations change the environments of your season. Like if you're the best, then you gotta, you're expected to win. Then yeah, you don't have a lot of room for error. You don't have a lot of looseness. You're not you're not running out there as the underdog, and whatever happens happens. Of course, your mentality mm-hmm. is going to change. Of course, there's going to be more pressure on you. Of course, there's going to be more scrutiny and media coverage and people picking apart your game. That's how it goes. That's what winners do. Yeah, you have to deal with that. So this idea that like and and look, maybe it was a different experience before KD got there, but cry me a river is basically what KD is saying. Like yeah, I came there, a major team. Ex- exponentially better we won two championships what are you complaining about you know you're playing with joy like right. that's well, the whole more point what well, do you want from me right winning isn't fun it's not a it's not a the process to winning is not fun winning is yeah. fun the process is not fun it's not supposed to be fun it's mm-hmm. hard work pays off it's not you know chilling on the couch pays off unless exactly. we're quarantined in which case it will <laughs> yeah, heroes yes. <laughs> All right. High key. According to episode nine of The Last Dance, MJ's legendary flu game was actually a legendary food poisoning game. Low key, a former Pizza Hut employee who claims to have made and delivered the food in question is calling bullshit on the poisoning. Who do you trust, Joy? Well, we actually had him on the herd today. The guy who delivered the pizza. Now, yeah. Again, this was 1998, so that's oh, 20, over 20 years ago, right? Quick maths, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much you remember from over 20 years ago, but it's a little foggy. Bits and pieces. You I know. got stuff, but you, the key details, not, not, not a lot. You might leave a few details out. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I don't believe him, because he's saying he's a Bulls fan. His son, he named his son after Michael Jordan. He was a huge, not a, like, he's not a Bulls fan. He was a Michael Jordan fan, but, like, kind of Utah because he lived there, but, like, also liked the Bulls, you know. So he's a little right, wishy-washy right. on his alliances, but it was okay. pretty obvious that he wasn't, like, out. He seemed like a nice Utah man, you know. He wasn't out to destroy <laughs> Michael Jordan. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that he didn't take his eyes off that pizza for a second and something else happens. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Michael Jordan had food poisoning, and here's why. Now, listen, uh, if you know me well, you know I'm a huge conspiracy theorist. I don't let it consume my life, but I definitely don't believe everything I'm told. However, if you just look at this situation, it's pretty obvious he had food poisoning. First of all, if you've ever had food poisoning before, it's a nightmare. It's the worst experience of your life. There's nothing that comes close to it, okay, other than something that oh. literally gets you in the hospital. 
but mm -hmm. as, uh, other What's than hospital, right? Other than hospital, actual hospital experiences, it's the worst thing you can go through at home. So you're 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 throwing up. You're uh, you have diarrhea. You have un unbelievable body cramps, sweats, chills. It's horrible. Yes. But it lasts for a day, maybe two, and then you're a little dehydrated. You're kind of under the weather, but you're good. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna be all right. The it's a quick bounce back. The flu is not a quick bounce back. It doesn't Very hit like that, and it doesn't go away like that. Like it's just, it doesn't. It's not that quick of a transition. It's a process. It's gonna be a little more time. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's no way he had the flu. Like he was just chilling, and then all of a sudden, boom, he had the flu an hour after eating a pizza. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's not how the flu works. And the other theory that's being thrown floated out there is that he was hungover. That would have had to have been a mega hangover. I have drank <laughs> a lot of alcohol in my day, all right? One time I am not getting so drunk that I am visibly hungover and dying is before a finals game, okay? Yes. Michael's not new. He's been drinking a long time at this point. He knows how much to drink, okay? He's got all of his trainers and guys around him. I'm sure someone would have been like, hey, Mike, eh. Slow down. Slow down a little bit, okay? Also, yeah. it's Utah where you can't find alcohol anywhere. It's a completely dry space. Okay? These are key details. Yes. So, like, the, the, the idea that like, the amount of, that he would have to drink to even get that drunk and then to the desire to be that drunk, that you are that hungover, that an IV and fluids and giant hamburger, like, could not at least get you in a space where you're functioning. I mean, he was falling apart. He was not hungover. It was clearly food poisoning. Whether someone did it on purpose or not is the real question, but I believe the food poisoning story 100%. Hi, T. Hi. Oh, you look so pretty. Lady in red is just okay. me. Uh, what's going on? What's going on with the culture report this week? Uh, we're getting more of Elle Woods. So Legally Blonde 3 is back and I'm so here for it. I love Reese Witherspoon. She's super talented and one of my favorite actresses. So uh, looking forward to Legally Blonde 3. Definitely enjoyed the first two. So I for sure want all the original cast members. Like I want Emmett to come back. I want Paulette to come back. Are you here for another Legally Blonde? I am. And I saw that Mindy Kelling is, uh, is writing yes, She is. I love this idea i was so excited when i saw that she was going to be the writer on it uh, yeah i mean legally yeah. blonde is it's like a girl rite of passage movie like there's mm -hmm. just something about that movie that, especially the first one that's like i don't even know how to explain it it's just such a good movie <laughs> bends and snap and like if you didn't snap. do the bend and snap at some point or already knew about the bend and snap you were like yes that is so true you gotta bend carefully <laughs> I love Legally Blonde, so I'm here for it. I can't wait to see. I wonder if, I don't know, is is uh, is Reese Witherspoon's daughter an actress? You know, she's not, but she should be. She and is, she should she play Reese Witherspoon as, a, as, like a, as a child. Yes, yeah. she's twins. She so, gave birth to herself. <laughs> she did. She said copy and paste. Uh, right. Yeah, so I wonder if she's going to be in it. But yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm so excited. I know, me too. But this week just keeps getting better and better, Joy. Like, Scream 5 is coming out in 2021. So excited about that. No plot details have been revealed, but I'm sure it's going to involve some disguised uh, ghost face killing people. And this is what we want. 
So I know right now that they've confirmed that David Arquette is going to play Dewey Riley. So I heard that they're going to also have Nev Campbell as Sydney. And I need that because I want to hear, hello, Sydney. Like, I'm, I'm so here for it. So, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm so those movies you? never scared me. Really? Yes. I don't know. They were just like so corny. I don't know. I need like we really. Love corny. Uh, well, no, like I'll yeah, I'll watch it for the corny factor, I guess. But I just never felt like really scared. Like movies, yeah. scary movies that really scare scare me are like religious based scary movies. Mm -hmm. But I like other scary movies. Like I like Silence of the Lambs and Saw and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But those are more like, well, Silence of the Lambs is more of a thriller, I guess. Yeah. So I guess Scream is kind of a thriller rather than a scary movie. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more of a thriller. But know. it had those jumpy like moments where right. I, I was jumping. I mean, I was like, I could see it coming, but I, I still was scared. Plus <laughs> also, I mean, who just like stares out into the window, like the darkness and the windows open? I feel like they make A bad weirdo. decisions in those movies. That's all I'm saying. They they do. It's very, very predictable, but we're going to watch though, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm here for all <laughs> Say. All right. So Insecure, oh gosh, it's taken me on uh, an emotional roller coaster. This past Sunday was really good. You know, I felt like... When Issa, I like that you all like you need your mom. You have those those times where you really really need your mom, and I felt that hug when Lisa fell into her mom's arms, started crying. It just I was like, oh my gosh, like she's really affected by her and Molly. Still over Molly, but I am here for them kind of just keeping this little rift between them going a little longer. So super excited about that. Um, what did you think about this past episode? I feel you on the mom part. Sometimes you just yeah. can't talk to your girlfriends and there's just nobody else that you can talk to but your mom. And she's yeah. probably not even gonna give you great advice like, cause she's probably just gonna tell you that you're right in that moment so you feel better, but you just need that. However, yeah. however, <laughs> I am team Molly uh, all the way. Yeah. Uh, I do love Issa and I love the show, as you know, but in this situation, I'm going to have to be on, I'm firmly in Molly's side. And I do understand, like, we've always, we've all had those kind of moments with our best friends where we're like, ah, bitch, I am not calling you. Like, you have to call me first. <laughs> and then eventually, yeah. it's like, friends, I think what will end up happening is they'll like trick them into getting together. For um, sure. Like there's going to do something where they get them back together so that they can talk because you always end up working through it. Really. If it's your best, best friend, very rarely yeah. do you run into a moment where it's like, mm, you know what? Like, I think I'm just done with this relationship altogether, but Issa's in the wrong. So Issa should apologize first. <laughs> but Issa always apologizes. So I don't know. You think it may be Molly's turn? Uh, I mean, I feel you on Issa always apologizing, but I just feel like in this situation, so they're both wrong, but yeah, if we're doing, if we're doing teams, like I gotta be on team Molly. So therefore I think that Issa should apologize first. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm team Issa, but I, I feel you. They're both wrong. They, they are, are both but... wrong, but I just feel like when it involves another, like when it, when it involves another relationship, like, and you already asked, you gotta abide by that. Like, otherwise why ask? <sighs> I, I I feel you. Molly should, but Molly should have came through for Issa. She should have been there for her friend, especially when she know that Issa be out here struggling. I know, but why she are you always struggling, <laughs> sis? Look, 
<laughs> but she, she's, she's getting it together. She's coming around. She is. I think this next episode will be like very telling for Issa's career. Like she feels inspired right now. Oh. So I'm looking forward to next. Oh, week. she does. Yeah. Super, Super excited, excited about it. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, T. It was good to see you. You're you look very fancy. Are you going on a date or something? Look, look with myself. <laughs> In the kitchen. In the kitchen. I got to date in the kitchen. Some afternoon rosé. All right, girl. Right. Take care of yourself. All right, you too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week. Thanks again to Scott Burrell for stopping by. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. And however you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartMedia app. And make sure you check us out on social media at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod. Thanks for checking us out. We'll see you guys next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Oh.